Hello, my name is Eric Kulik, and I've been cross-dressing to religious meeting houses of all sorts while standing for the marginalized and underrepresented and advocating for critical thought. I started cross-dressing to services on MLK Weekend 2013 because of some death threats received by Mormon women who had started an event called Wear Pants to Church Day the month before. As a result of my cross-dress visits, I was assaulted by Mormons and banned from all LDS church property and was excommunicated from the church while sitting in jail for trespassing and interfering with police charges, which were dropped by the DA after I released the audio recording that I made before getting assaulted and arrested. A googling of cross-dressing Mormon will produce the audio from that day. My Mormon wife abducted the kids as a result of this excommunication experience, and her Mormon lawyer helped her by telling her she was free to leave, even though the judge had already reopened the case to set aside the divorce. I'm currently embroiled in a legal battle for custody of the children as a result. I've decided to release the audio from all my visits to religious communities one by one in order to expose these common practices by the church and its members and to share my other experiences as I continue to do traveling ministerial work from one religious community to the next. Fortunately, most of the religious communities I've visited have been rather nice, so hopefully these visits will produce positive results as I continue to advocate for critical thought regarding all forms of dogma, especially political. I have set up a donation button at http colon forward slash forward slash e m as in michael k u l i c k dot wordpress dot com forward slash about and would greatly appreciate any support as I continue to cross dress the churches and advocate for equal treatment of all under the law. The following is my first recorded non-LDS service and my first Jehovah's Witness service. After a warm meet and greet that began with a prayer and scripture study which was in the style of a lecture with examples of people who properly applied the teachings of the Bible in their lives. There was then a studying of the Watchtower which had involvement by the congregation but it was more a recitation of scripture and church doctrine than an interactive discussion. Following the meeting I engaged the congregants and some of the leaders and discuss with them some of the issues I have with communities that worry about their salvation and the practice of shunning that can manifest itself within these communities. I also shared my appreciation for much of the wisdom found in holy texts, explained why I began cross-dressing to religious services, and spoke on the importance of critical thought. The folks here were rather responsive for quite some time before politely encouraging me to leave by thanking me for stopping by. I thanked them in return for their hospitality and reassured them that I'd visit again in the future. Thank you. Hello. I'm well. How are you? Hey. Yes, I've never been to one, so okay. I'm Eric, Eric nice Kulik. My name's Kim. I'll go get my husband. He can say hi to sure. you. Okay. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi. Hi, Beth. Eric. 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 Hi, I'm Jim. Jim, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. This is your first time at the hall? Or? Yes, at any hall. At any hall? Yeah. Okay. Good. You want to welcome? 
I've been going to a lot of churches actually lately. I grew up Mormon, Catholic, Jewish, born again, I guess you could call it. Mostly Mormon though. That sounds like me. I yeah. grew up Catholic, Mormon, Assembly of God, and a few others. That's right, a bit. Yeah. I've been to Church of Christ for the first time recently, a Baptist church for the first time recently. I've been to other like non-denominational non ones before. Eric, nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, not on me, no. Sure, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Nice to meet you. Yes. Hi, my name is Gail. Hi, Gail. Nice to meet you. I don't know if you want to. Oh, there you go. That's terrific. You can use while you're here. Excellent. Stay for the watchtower. I'll hang around. It's all there for you. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Eric, nice Eric, to meet you. Nice to meet you. Oh, cool. <laughs> is this your first time coming to Kimha? Anyway, yeah. I've had friends uh, who were Jehovah's Witness like, growing oh. up. Actually, really good friends. Uh, back in New York, I grew up mostly. Awesome. But, well, yeah. We're glad that you came and visited us. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, I don't know. Do you know kind of how the meeting goes? Um, mm, I've been to a lot of churches. I don't know anything specifically okay. about this one. Well, we usually um, will start with a song. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you have a song to look at. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, so we'll just start with a song, um, and then we have a speaker come and um, give a discourse on a subject for about 30 minutes, and then um, we read out of the watchtower. Okay. So I can grab you a watchtower and let's see. Okay, yeah, I got with they, you. Yeah. Got yeah. yeah, and then we usually sing two more songs. Okay. Just, you know, take Sure. <laughs> Sounds pretty, well, Janet. I'll, I'll have you meet my brother afterwards. Cool. Thanks. Nice to meet you. You too. Hi, Tony. Eric. Hi, Eric. Nice to meet you. This is my mother, Mary. Hi, Mary. Did you say you're from New York? Uh, I was born in Seattle, but I grew up in Long Island, yeah. Oh, right on. Mom was born in New York. Oh, really? What part? Oh, okay. My, my mom was born in Manhattan. My uh, stepdad was born in Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then my sister, Erin. Hi. Hi, Erin. How are you?
Father in the heavens, we certainly thank you for this opportunity to come to here together in the Kingdom Hall to be encouraged by our association. We pray for your Holy Spirit upon our meetings today. Help us to uh, pay close attention. We know how important it is for all of us to endure our different trials that we may face as individuals. Of course, Jehovah, we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us do such. We know that even Jesus Christ uh, endured his trials because of your Holy Spirit and the power that you gave him. So may we stay close to you, draw close to you in uh, our aspects of worship, in our relationship with you. Help us to build our faith in your word, the Bible. You've instructed us in ways to live. May we find that our standards of living are in harmony with yours. We beg, of course, Jehovah, that we ask for forgiveness of our sins. We recognize that often we sin with our tongue. Sometimes we do it with our conduct. So please, Jehovah, forgive us. Help us to be aware of our shortcomings and make adjustments in our lives as needed. We pray for our brothers worldwide. And of course, we ask Jehovah that you continue to bless our organization, so wonderful, sharing in the preaching work, and may we have a full share. We pray and ask all these things through Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's give our attention then to Brother Unamacher. Note his theme. Maintain your confidence firm to the end. Have you ever had somebody tell you just trust me. Likely we've all heard that from different people. People ask for our trust in many different things today. Sometimes it's difficult to give our trust to others. We sometimes see a lack of trustworthiness displayed among many today. Uh, many are strictly motivated out of self-interest or greed, and uh, they have no love for their fellow man. To give our implicit trust to someone without reserve requires that we have complete confidence in that individual. We have to have a prior knowledge of the type of person they are, what their motives are, what their past record of dealing with others are. Our being here today shows that we have an interest in Jehovah's promises of the Messianic Kingdom under Jesus Christ's rule. But if we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, we'll see that something is required of us. Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. Here Jesus is speaking to his disciples who also had an interest in things, those kingdom blessings. But know what Jesus said. He says, but he that has endured to the end is the one that will be saved. So what was the king of this kingdom asking for? It was more than just a desire to see the blessings of the kingdom unfold. Essentially, Jesus was asking for our trust. If we're to endure through something, as Jesus was telling uh, to the end, we have to have trust in him to do that. And as we discussed, our trust requires confidence. So we want to ask ourselves, and have we built up that confidence? If we've been part of the congregation for some time, have we maintained that confidence? Where can we get help to do these things? Well, there is one example that we have in God's Word, the Bible, and it's uh, around a group of Christians that were living in Jerusalem in the year 61 CE. 
Now, these Christians faced pressure and opposition from the leaders of their time, sometimes even by severe persecution. They also faced apathy from the general populace. So these things could have led to feelings of discouragement. But the environment that they lived in posed a threat to eroding their confidence that they had in Jehovah's promises. Some of the members of that congregation were new, some were spiritually immature or weak, and others were just overconfident in their own abilities. This was a critical time period as well around that year, because unbeknownst to them it would only be just a few more years before the foretold destruction of Jerusalem would take place. The counsel that Jesus gave at Matthew 24, verse 13, that we just read regarding endurance, uh, would be especially important to them regarding that foretold destruction. But was that all that those Hebrew Christians were given? Well, no. They had further counsel that was lovingly provided by Jehovah and his organization. Under inspiration from Jehovah's Holy Spirit, uh, a letter was addressed to those Hebrew Christians that was meant to encourage and build up their faith and uh, their, their confidence. So as we consider that letter as well, uh, this will help us to build up our, our faith and trust and our confidence as well. We find ourselves in similar circumstances to those Hebrew Christians, and we actually live in a parallel time period, as we'll discuss later, in which Jesus identified as the last days. So I invite you to open to that letter. It's, of course, the book of Hebrews. And we'll be going through chapter 3 as well as some of chapter 4. So I invite you to hold your place there as we'll be referencing other scriptures as well. We'll start with Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. And here God's word starts with encouraging us, saying, Consequently, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest whom we confess, Jesus. So here we're invited to consider Jesus to build our own trust. We do this by looking at his record of his past dealings, in the, as recorded in the Bible. The accounts tell us the many things that Jesus has accomplished in our behalf. We can reflect on the love that Jesus showed when he was on earth, as recorded in the Gospel accounts. And his own resurrection, too, gives us confidence. But first noted, Jesus services as high priest. So who appointed Jesus to that position? Well, of course, that was Jehovah. So this tells us that God himself shows confidence in Jesus' role as high priest, and that, as well, gives us confidence, too. The perfect sacrifice that Jesus presented as high priest makes possible the forgiveness of our sins. This gives us further confidence, knowing the great effort that Jehovah had made out of his great love for us. So we see Jehovah's word tells us that our confidence clearly comes through Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at more of Jesus' record in verses 2 through 4. It continues, he was faithful to the one that made him such, as Moses was also in all the house of that one. For the latter is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who constructs it has more honor than the house. Of course, every house is constructed by someone, but he that constructed all things is God. So we see Jesus is here compared with Moses. Moses, as a servant to the nation of Israel, displayed great faith. But verse 3 noted that Jesus was superior to Moses, and that he was used in construction. Hold your place in Hebrews. Let's turn back to Proverbs chapter 8. And we'll read verses 30 and 31 and see how Jesus was used in the greatest physical construction project. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 30. 
God's word is speaking of Jesus where it says, Then I came to be beside him as a master worker. And I came to be the one he was fond of, or especially fond of, day by day. I being glad before him all the time. Being glad of the productive land of his earth. And the things I was fond of were with the sons of men. Yes, under Jehovah's direction, Jesus built all things. So he would therefore be considered superior to Moses. Verse 4 in Hebrews chapter 3, though, reminds us that all glory should be directed to Jehovah God, the chief architect behind the creation. So what does a construction work have to do with our confidence? Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll consider verses 5 and 6. It says, And Moses, as an attendant, was faithful in all the house of that one, as a testimony of the things that were to be spoken afterwards. But Christ was faithful as a son over the house of that one. We are the house of that one if we make fast our hold on our freeness of speech and our boasting over the hope firm to the end. As great as Moses was, he only acted as an attendant to Jehovah's house, which at that time was the nation of Israel. Moses himself was a part of that house, that nation. He didn't build it or construct it himself. Verse 6 shows us that Jesus is identified as the son of the owner of the house. And when on earth, Jesus again took on that role of a construction worker. He constructed the congregation of spiritual Israel. The Hebrew Christians were themselves part of that house, that worldwide congregation. But we notice that that house is associated with holding fast to our hope, firm to the end. Those Hebrew Christians needed to hold on to their hope in order to survive the destruction of Jerusalem. By supporting that house, or that congregation, their faith would not waver. The same house, that worldwide Christian congregation, exists today. And by supporting it, we can acquire and maintain our confidence as well. Like the Hebrew Christians, our time period is also critical. Let's hold our place in Hebrews, and again, we'll turn over a few pages to 2 Peter. Peter chapter 3, we'll just read the first part of verse 12. Here Jehovah's Word tells us that we are awaiting and keeping close in mind the presence of the day of Jehovah. So when is it that we need to take action? Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3 and we'll consider verse 7. tells us, for this reason, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you people listen to his own voice. Yes, God's word tells us the most important day of the week to carry out our Christian obligations, and that is today. Not one of us knows what tomorrow will bring. The scriptures refer to Jehovah's day as arriving like a thief, or when we least expect it. We also don't know what will happen to us tomorrow, because we know that time and unforeseen occurrence can befall any one of us. So we have to make that effort when we can call the day today. This is imperative because it's possible for us to lose our confidence. Verses 8 through 11 describe why. It continues, Do not harden your hearts as on the occasion of causing bitter anger, as in the day of making the test in the wilderness, in which your forefathers made a test of me with a trial, and yet they had seen my works for forty years. For this reason I became disgusted with this generation, 
and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they themselves have not come to know my ways. So I swore in my anger, They shall not enter into my rest. This series of verses is referring to the forefathers of those Hebrew Christians who were part of the nation of Israel during their trek through the wilderness. As noted in this verse, they had personally seen Jehovah's delivering power, yet they complained numerous times against Jehovah God, putting him to the test. In particular, there was one event during that nation's trek that highlighted their faithless performance. It happened at a place that was called Massah. There, the Israelites took up murmuring and arguing against Moses. In reality, it was against Jehovah for not accommodating to what their own expectations were. The account shows, though, that Jehovah, through Moses, did miraculously provide for the Israelites. Let's hold our place in Hebrews, and let's go back to Psalm 95. We can see the series of verses that uh, this uh, section in Hebrews we just read from are based on. Psalm 95. We'll start with verse 8, but this is going to tell us just how serious the attitude of the Israelites was. tells us, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your forefathers put me to the proof, they examined me, they also saw my activity. For 40 years I kept feeling a loathing toward that generation. And I proceeded to say, there are people wayward at heart, and they themselves have not come to know my ways. It's noteworthy that the word, the Hebrew word Massah, literally means testing. It's a name that Moses gave to this place when the nation of Israel displayed their faithless force. They failed to maintain their confidence in Jehovah. Let's return to Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll read verse 12 and see how this is a warning example for us. There God's word counsels us, Beware, brothers, for fear there should ever develop in any one of you a wicked heart, lacking faith, by drawing away from the living God. This verse tells us that our confidence is linked to our heart condition. So we must humbly examine our own hearts so that we do not lose faith. Now, a poor heart condition isn't something that appears instantly, but rather something that slowly, subtly develops in us. The verse mentions drawing away. And that's interesting because drawing away is actually a definite action that somebody would take. We might think to ourselves, you know, I never make any definite action against Jehovah. But what was the condition of the Israelites? It was a lack of faith. It wasn't insufficient knowledge or an incorrect understanding. They had that knowledge freely available to them. But they let a wicked heart develop in themselves. And today, also, a wicked heart could develop in us, perhaps by allowing desires for what we know God forbids, perhaps resisting some of his commands, or maybe trying to find some fault in Jehovah's laws by uh, seeking uh, fault-finding, doubt, or apostasy even. So to hold our confidence in God, we have to make every effort to guard our hearts. Verse 13 continues on that thought. It tells us, but keep on exhorting one another each day, as long as it may be called today, for fear any one of you should become hardened by the deceptive power of sin. See what the warning is for us. Sin's deceptive power. Sin is something that strikes at our weaknesses, and so it's crucial to be on guard against that when we might be feeling discouraged, perhaps maybe even negligent in our spiritual habits. 
Consider one example of sin's power. There was a man in a congregation who enjoyed privileges as an elder or an overseer, even though he was concealing his guilt as a fornicator. He had no trouble keeping up the facade of innocence. But when he was finally forced to confess the wrong, he could only shrug his shoulders and say, what difference does it make now? His attitude revealed just how hard sin has made his heart. The verse in Hebrews mentions again the day of the week, though, that day today. Yes, on the day that we call today, we must safeguard our faith and our confidence by engaging our hearts with upbuilding thoughts. The primary ways that we do this are through our prayer and our Bible reading each and every day. Now, we know we don't have our Christian meetings each day, but the times that we do also allow us to build up our hearts. Uh, some might feel that uh, missing or omitting meetings is just a minor thing. It's entirely inconsequential. But we see that the verse urges us to remain close to the congregation for the purpose of encouraging each other, even if it's just by our own presence. And this is especially beneficial for those who may be feeling weak. Let's continue on in verse 14, as this gives us all a moment for personal reflection. It tells us, For we actually become partakers of the Christ, only if we make fast our hold on the confidence we had at the beginning, firm to the end. So ask yourself, how were you at the beginning when you started to serve God? No doubt you had much joy, much enthusiasm, and much confidence. But are you still that way? Have you grown to maturity with greater knowledge? And if not, why not? The spirit of this world that scoffs at spiritual values could perhaps influence us to begin doubting the promises that we know. Whatever the case is, though, we can ask Jehovah to assist us with banishing any doubts that we might have and to make fast our hold on the confidence that we all had at the beginning. The result is that we'll have joyful worship and service to Jehovah and we'll have a positive outlook on life. We can't deny the need to listen to Jehovah. And verse 15 develops that thought. It continues, While it is being said, Today, if you people listen to his own voice, do not harden your hearts as on the occasion of causing bitter anger. This again is a quote from Psalm 95, verse 8 that we read earlier. And it again emphasizes that day, today. So this indicates it's being said by Jehovah today, just as it was back in the day of the Hebrew Christians, just as it was back in the day of the Israelites. Of course, this is not in the audible form of a voice or that of an angel, but this is through our God-breathed word, the Bible. Hold our place in Hebrews and turn back to Acts chapter 17. We'll read verse 27 and see just how easy it is for us to listen to God. Acts 17, 27. You were encouraged for them to seek God, if they might grow for him and really find him, although in fact he is not far off from each one of us. <coughs> yes, Jehovah is not far off from us today. We can hear him through his word, the Bible. Let's again consider the wayward Israelites. I turn back to Hebrews chapter 3 and read verses 16 through 19. And it asks, For who were they that heard, and yet provoked to bitter anger. Did not, in fact, all do so who went out of Egypt under Moses? Moreover, with whom did God become disgusted for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? 
But to whom did he swear that they should not enter into his rest, except to those who acted disobediently? So we see that they could not enter in because of lack of faith. Again, many in Israel had witnessed firsthand the deliverance of Jehovah, but they lost out on the promised land. They had confidence in Jehovah at one time. They walked through the Red Sea, but they lost that confidence. They could have regained it, but as we discussed, they numerously complained against Jehovah many times. This lack of faith led to God's decree that that faithless generation would die in the wilderness. Only a few were allowed to enter into the Promised Land, and that was Joshua, Caleb, and the Levites. This example wasn't written for us to instill a morbid fear in us, but we do need to be on guard and pay attention to our own obedience. Only those who prove their obedience will obey or will enjoy Jehovah's promises. This is explained further in chapter four, verses one and two. And it tells us, therefore, since a promise is left of entering into his rest, let us fear that sometime some one of you may seem to have fallen short of it. For we have had the good news declared to us also, even as they also have. But the word which was heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who did hear. The Israelites' example proved that no one could rightfully say, Jehovah cannot provide. Today, the same spiritual food is available to all of us. We all have the same opportunity to enjoy the wonderful spiritual banquet and to build up our faith. But do we share our faith in Jehovah's promises along with the congregation, along with the worldwide brotherhood? We must do more than just hear about these grand promises. We have to build up our faith from our own heart. Our association with the congregation helps us to do that, to build up our confidence in our faith. Our association, too, serves to strengthen the bonds of the brotherhood. So in the congregation, all of us can watch for opportunities to encourage each other. If someone seems to be falling short, we can take the initiative to offer our support to them. However, we do want to be tactful in our approach, because it might just appear that one may be losing faith. Let's hold our place in Hebrews and turn back a few pages to Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 3. This shows us how our approach to our brother should be. Philippians 2 and verse 3. And here, Jehovah's word encourages us, doing nothing out of contentiousness or out of egotism, but with lowliness of mind, considering that the others are superior to you. <clears throat> yes, we need to be humble, considering that the others in the congregation are superior over us. So we see that applying Jehovah's word benefits us now and gives us confidence in his promised future. The future promise of Jehovah's rest is explained in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 11. And here we're encouraged, Let us therefore do our utmost to enter into that rest, for fear anyone should fall in the same pattern of disobedience. As this old system of things comes closer to an end, <clears throat> it takes more than the usual attention for us to maintain our confidence. We need to do our utmost to enter into God's rest. We can do so now by exercising faith in our leader, Jesus Christ, and, of course, Jehovah God. But also, we have to resist the spirit of faithlessness that is manifested in this world and that was manifested by the nation of Israel. 
Instead of centering our lives on the pleasures of this system of things or trying to work out our future our own way, we welcome God's direction in our lives. <clears throat> we know that Jehovah's promises will come true. They came true for those few faithful Israelites who entered into the promised land, and we know that the future rest of Jehovah's new system is sure to come true in the future as well. We can place our full confidence in Jehovah and in his powerful word. Let's read about that power in verse 12. It tells us, For the word of God is alive, and exerts power, and is sharper than any two-edged sword, and pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit, and of joints and their marrow, and is able to discern thoughts and intentions of the heart. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is still <laughs> trying to recover from when I was sick. <clears throat> As Jehovah's word is alive, so too is his activity. His word cannot fail. It is that powerful. The record of scripture and history that we have contained many instances in which his word was accomplished in harmony with his purposes. Even now, Jehovah is working progressively to bring his future promise to a grand fulfillment. But we ask ourselves, what is our attitude towards Jehovah's word of promise? Well, we can't afford to let our confidence wane, as did the nation of Israel. How we react to God's promises shows what we really are inside. Many know what the right thing to do is, but some do give in to fleshly weaknesses. So just having that knowledge of right and wrong isn't all that's required. Of course, fighting weaknesses is not easy, but we can rely on the same power that we just read about for help. Consider one example from our publication, The Bible, God's Word, or Man. It mentions uh, one experience of a woman where it says, in some cases, fighting weaknesses is a struggle. A young woman in North America had to fight very hard to change. A victim of childhood sexual abuse, she grew up in a violent family and eventually turned to drugs. She sold herself as a prostitute to pay for the habit. She ended up spending more time in prisons and pool rooms than she did at home. When Jehovah's Witnesses met her, she had, after several abortions, become the mother of an illegitimate child. Nevertheless, she liked what she heard from the Bible and began to study it. Soon she was building a relationship with God and making adjustments in her life. A hard fight lay ahead, however, because the old personality was deeply ingrained. On one occasion, she took offense at some well-made counsel, quit studying, and went back to her unclean ways. But she could not forget the Bible truth that had been implanted in her. This knowledge motivated her to make another determined effort. She says, I began opening the door to Jehovah and praying often for help. This time, the new personality became more firmly implanted, although she still had to struggle hard. <clears throat> Once she relapsed into drunkenness and immorality, this time her reaction showed that she was truly changing. She was disgusted with herself. Eventually, God's word exerted power in her life to such an extent that she became an active Christian living a clean, honorable life. For several years now, she has been a totally different person from the abused, drug-addicted, wild-living individual that she used to be. Would you not agree that that was a powerful transition? <clears throat> the power in the Bible shows that this is more than just merely human writings. This is the channel for the operation of Jehovah's Holy Spirit. All of us need to give careful attention to the promises that Jehovah holds out and what the Bible says about these wonderful promises. 
the more that we read and meditate on what God's Word says, the more power that we can take and receive from it. And in turn, our spirit will gain stronger confidence. <clears throat> Jehovah takes note of our faith and our confidence that we display. Let's read about that in verse 13. And it tells us, And there is not a creation that is not manifest to his sight, but all things are naked and openly exposed to the eyes of him with whom we have an accounting. Because Jehovah sees all that takes place today, it's important to show that we rely upon him. Our conduct, our speech, and our acts show what's in our heart, and if we want to truly become his intimate friends. But the fact that he sees all does not mean that he's waiting and watching us to try or to make mistakes so that he can punish us. Instead, he watches over us like a loving father with genuine concern for his children. He wants to reward his obedient followers. And doesn't that instill confidence in our loving Father, our loving Creator? At the start of chapter 3, we were encouraged to consider Jesus. And we'll do so again in verses 14 through 16. Thanks for being patient with me, by the way. There's a seeing, therefore, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold on to our confessing of him. <clears throat> For we have as high priest not one who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in all respects like ourselves, but without sin. Let us therefore approach with freeness of speech to the throne of undeserved kindness, that we may obtain mercy and find undeserved kindness for help at the right time. Yes, we can place full confidence in our, our high priest, Jesus Christ. We can approach God through our high priest to help us in any struggle that we face. We can think of the relief that it is having Jesus as our judge, one who can sympathize with our weaknesses, one who has been tested out in all respects like ourselves. And this gives us further zeal to publicly confess our King. We can confidently take courage and regain any lost joy. We don't have to fear the future. Our full confidence can be firmly placed not in ourselves, not in the crumbling system of things that we see around us, but in Jehovah God and his sure promises. If we do, we can confidently face the end with strong faith and real joy. And we will know that we have God's love and that he will reward us with incomparable blessings in the future. Thank you, Brother Nunemacher. Nice job. We Certainly we're encouraged by uh, your talk and reasoning by God's word to help us build confidence in Jehovah so that all of us can endure to the end. We'd like to invite you back next week at 1230, likewise, here at the Sunnyside Congregation. Uh, Brother Steve Allen from the East Canby Congregation will be discussing this theme. Jehovah and Christ, are they part of a trinity? We'd like to give our attention now to Brother Buck out as he will take the lead in our watch our list. We have a nice concluding study uh, out of our February magazine. <coughs> Let nothing hinder you. It must be this stage. <laughs> Let nothing hinder you from taking hold of glory. And the 
faithful slavists uh, described our study this way. This article shows how we can take hold of the glory that Jehovah confers on humans. It also explains what can hinder us from doing so and how our continuing to seek glory can help others. So the title of our uh, study here is Let Nothing Hinder You From Taking Hold of Glory. And the theme text that we'll be developing is He That Is Humble in Spirit Will Take Hold of Glory. So let's start by standing and singing song number 13, or I'm sorry, number 15, Creation Reveals Jehovah's Glory. And we'll start our study. Song number 15. your mind? 
the radiant splendor of creation, the praise and glory given to humans having exceptional wealth, wisdom, or accomplishments. In the scriptures, the original language words for glory convey the sense of heaviness. In ancient times, when money was made of precious metals, the heavier the coin, the greater its value. Words used to express the idea of weightiness came to be understood figuratively to mean that uh, that which is treasured, magnificent, or impressive. While we may be impressed with the power, position, or reputation of another person, what does God look at in humans? The scriptures actually speak of a glory that God confers on humans. For example, Proverbs 22.4 states, the result of humility and the fear of Jehovah is riches and glory and life. And the disciple James wrote, Humble yourselves in the eyes of Jehovah, and he will exalt you. What is the glory that Jehovah bestows upon humans? What can hinder us from taking hold of it? And how can we help others to take hold of this glory? For um, uh, a part of paragraphs 1 and 2, what is the significance of the original language words for glory? Well, the original language uh, for glory, it conveys a sense of heaviness. So it was used to express something that was weighty, treasured, magnificent, or impressive. So this was in harmony with the coins of the past. They were considered precious metals, and generally when it was a heavier coin, it had greater value. All right, thank you. So as, uh, as the word then kind of uh, kept growing then, when they used that uh, word figuratively then, something that is really impressive or has glory to it, uh, what can we start to identify then with that word glory? Sister Thomas? Well, in our world, it's power, position, reputation. Uh, so these are the things that humans look at. All right, yes. And then Sister Hand? I saw that something treasured, something that brings glory is a lot, something that's very treasured and dear to our heart. All right, thank you. Yes, something that we don't discount. Sister Carmino? Uh, that scripture there in Psalms 19, verse 1, it brings out the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the work of his hands, the expanse is telling. So we can see um, Jehovah's impressive creation that he's done, the splendor from it, and that brings glory to him. Okay, thank you. So we see that uh, the word signifies something of a great value, whether it's interpreted by humans, what that great value might be, or uh, how Jehovah values it, which is what we want to find out. Okay, thank you. So the B part then asks, what questions will we consider in this article then, in relation to this subject? Brother Hannah? It says, what is the glory that Jehovah bestows upon humans? What can hinder us from taking hold of it? How can we help others to take hold of this glory? Okay, yes. And one of the chief ways that we do receive glory from Jehovah God, according to those two scriptures, that Proverbs and James is what? Sister Curry? 
where we see the quality of humility as a very important key to acquiring this glory. All right, yes. So let's go to paragraph three. The psalmist expressed confidence that Jehovah would take hold of him by the right hand and lead him to genuine glory. How does Jehovah do this? Jehovah leaves his humble servants to glory by honoring them in numerous ways. He blesses them with an understanding of his will. He bestows upon those who listen to his will a word and obey him, the honor of a close personal relationship with him. Jehovah also entrusts his servants with the glorious treasure of the Christian ministry, and this ministry leads to glory. To those who use their privilege of service to his praise and to the benefit of others, Jehovah promises, those honoring me, I shall honor. Such ones are honored with a good name with Jehovah, and they are likely to be well spoken of by other servants of God. What about the future of those who hope in Jehovah and keep his way? They are promised, he, Jehovah, will exalt you to take possession of the earth. Then, when the wicked ones are cut off, you will see it. They look forward to experiencing the incomparable honor of receiving everlasting life. First, I'd ask us uh, to read Psalm 72, 23, and 24 before we ask the question. Okay, yes, please. Psalm 73, 23, and 24. But I am content constantly with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will lead me. Afterward, you will take me even to glory. All right, thank you. So the big question asks, uh, oh, I'm sorry, three and five, to what glory may Jehovah lead us? Sister Lukai. Well, he does this by honoring us. Um, and he can do this in several different ways. But a few of them is he blesses us with um, allowing us to understand his will and his purpose. And also, as James points out, if we draw close to Jehovah, then he will draw close to us, so we'll be able to have a personal relationship with him. All right, yeah. Some more here. I was just, um, the scripture there in 1 Corinthians 2-7, um, where Jehovah speaks of his will as a sacred secret. He doesn't open it up just to anyone. It's a hidden wisdom, and those with a humble and if we obey Jehovah, we can have a good name with him, and then we could also have a good name with others. And Proverbs 22.1 brought out that a good name was worth more than riches even, and we know how much people in the world will seek riches sometimes their whole life. And so we could be searching out our whole life to have a good name with Jehovah and others. Okay, yeah. And Kimberly? And Jehovah gives us the honor to preach the good news to others also. Yes, that's very important. And Brother Trevino. <laughs> Proverbs eleven sixteen 16 here that's quoted mentions that a woman of charm is the one that takes hold of glory, but the tyrants, for their part, take hold of riches. I like this scripture because it it draws the contrast that the tyrants, they get something, they get riches, um, but the woman of charm is the one that takes hold of glory. So it draws a contrast, contrast between enduring glory, but transient riches. Riches go away, but we remember people, like in this scripture, if we think of biblical women, we think of Ruth 
Abigail, these uh, sisters and women that did things that now we look to them and they think we think they're good examples. They're well spoken of by others. All right, yeah, so definitely it's a choice here, isn't it? Going along with the thought about um, we have the privilege of the ministry, um, Jehovah's Witness, that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, in verse 7, it's not being that he's having us do on our own, but it's because of the, the power beyond what is formal, and maybe God's and not that of ourselves. So he gives us the strength to work with him to accomplish that ministry. And of course, another beautiful glory that we're looking forward to is that honor of receiving everlasting life. All right, thank you. Yes, I appreciated that. So what about the future of those who hope in Jehovah to keep his way? Uh, we'll have the possession of the earth to be cleansed. Uh, and of course, those who have a heavenly hope. So uh, really something there. So let's go to our first subheading. I do not accept uh, glory from men. And sorry. Joel, but let's read that one scripture first at John chapter 5, 39 to uh, 44. Let's turn there. John chapter 5. And then I think it's uh, starting at verse 39. We'd like to read that. Okay, yes, go ahead. You are searching the scriptures because you think by means of them you will have everlasting life, and these are the very ones you bear witness about me. And yet you do not want to come to me that you may have life. I do not accept glory from men, but I will know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in the name of my Father, but you do not receive me. If someone else arrived in his own name, you would receive that one. How can you believe when you are accepting glory from one and Another and you are not keeping the glory that is from the Lord God. All right, so let's read the uh, paragraph 6 and 7. What could hinder us from receiving the glory that Jehovah is willing to confer on us? One factor is giving too much weight to the opinions of those who have no standing with God. Consider what the Apostle John wrote concerning certain ones of authority in Jesus' day. Many, even the rulers, actually put faith in Jesus, but because the Pharisees, they would not confess him, in order not to be expelled from the synagogue, for they loved the glory of men more than even the glory of God. How much better it would have been for those rulers had they not given so much importance to what the Pharisees thought. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus had clearly identified why many would not receive him and put faith in him. The nation of Israel had been anticipating the arrival of the Messiah for centuries. When Jesus began teaching, some individuals may have discerned that, that from Daniel's prophecy that the appointed time for Christ's appearance had arrived. Months earlier, when John the Baptizer came preaching, many were saying, May he perhaps be the Christ. Now the long-awaited Messiah was in their midst teaching, but those versed in the law failed to accept him. In pointing the reason, Jesus asked them, How can you believe when you are accepting glory from one another, and you are not seeking the glory that is from the only God? So why were many unwilling to put faith in Jesus? Brother O'Brien? Well, basically, it's fear of man. So they were worried about what the religious... 
religious leaders would, would how they would view them, and, the, and that they would might be uh, might say disfellowshipped or, or expelled from the synagogue. So they were more concerned with what they thought than what really Jesus thought or Jehovah thought. All right, yeah. Sister Parkinson. thing could hinder us too from receiving Jehovah's glory um, if we were to give um, too much weight to the opinions of those who don't have a relationship with Jehovah and uh, because we know that today there's many uh, who would um, have their own opinions and so we have to be very careful of that. Jesus started preaching some that were familiar with Daniel's prophecy and uh, were really paying attention they knew the time was near and they saw when John the Baptist started preaching they thought perhaps he was the Christ but still they held back all right yeah. okay, let's go to our next paragraph uh, two paragraphs paragraph how human glory can obscure divine glory can be illustrated by comparing glory to light. Our brilliant universe is abundantly glorious. Do you remember when you last looked into the sky on a clear night and found yourself encompassed by thousands of stars? The glory of the stars is awe-inspiring. When viewed from the street of a well-lit city, though, how does the same sky appear? Why, city lights make it almost impossible for us to see the light emanating from distant stars. Is this so because the lights from roads, stadiums, and buildings are stronger or more beautiful than starlight? No. This happens because city lights are closer to us and they interfere with what we can what we can perceive of Jehovah's creation. To witness the wonders of the night sky, we must somehow block out or avoid the interference from artificial light. Similarly, if the wrong kind of glory were too close to our hearts, it could prevent us from appreciating and seeking the enduring glory of Jehovah that Jehovah is willing to bestow. Many fail to accept the kingdom message because they are afraid of what acquaintances or family members might think of them. But could the desire to receive glory from humans affect even dedicated servants of God? Suppose a young man is assigned to preach in an area where he is fairly well known in the community, but is not yet known as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Will he shrink back in fear? Or what if someone is ridiculed for pursuit of theocratic goals? Will he allow those without clear spiritual vision to influence his choices in life? Or perhaps a Christian has committed a serious sin. Will he hide his wrongdoing because he is afraid of losing his standing in the congregation or because he does not want to disappoint loved ones? In the latter case, it is if his foremost thought is to repair his relationship with Jehovah, he will call the older men of the congregation and seek their help. All right, let's read that counsel there at James 5, 14 through 16. Sister Trevino? James chapter 5. 
If there anyone sick among you, let him call the older men of the congregation to him, and let them pray over him, greasing him with oil in the name of Jehovah. And the prayer of faith will make the indisposed one well, and Jehovah will raise him up. Also, if he has committed sins, it will be forgiven him. Yes, so using the illustration of light, show how human glory can obscure divine glory. This illustration reminded me of an article, or uh, watching the world. Uh, the best place to observe the stars is in Death Valley, California. But they're noticing that the stars are harder to see because of the lights of Las Vegas. And so uh, this shows us to help us that the glory of the stars are more majestic than we could ever imagine, even the stars or the lights of Vegas. So, uh, but they dim out God's glory. So we have to be cognizant of that, how it could affect us. All right. Brother Graham. Paragraph brought out an interesting point. It's not that the artificial lights are more powerful than the stars. Obviously, they're very much weaker, but it's their proximity to us. They're closer to us, so uh, that's an important factor. All right, yeah, that's a good illustration, Brother Dubchek. So for photographers who want to take nice shots of the night sky, they get away from the city lights and get out into the desert or out into the the darker areas of the countryside, but then they're also going to use a long, longer exposure, which allows more light to come in. And so we can kind of use that example here as well, that the, the longer we concentrate on Jehovah's glory, the better we are for it. Okay, yes. And Brother Bill? This can be a real sense very like uh, young ones at school wanting to be popular and fit in, wanting accolades if they're good at sports, you know, from their peers and things and not being as concerned about giving glory to Jehovah and uh, reflecting that. Or even at work, if we want our workmates to think of a certain way of us and try to hide the fact that we're with us. All right, thank you. Yes, an application there. So paragraph 9 then, uh, what might happen to us even within the congregation says if we have uh, the uh, wrong kind of glory which is close to our heart? That's another area that might get us. Brother Weigel? Fear of displeasing man, or, or it could be family members who uh, maybe don't think so much of us learning uh, the truth from Jehovah's Witnesses or, or uh, Bible truth from, from the Witnesses, uh, or it could be one uh, who's already publishing the good news but embarrassed because uh, he's not well known as one of Jehovah's people. So uh, being in the ministry, getting known for that, um, wonders what his, what his friends might think of him, or they, they might think poorly of him, or ridicule him perhaps. So that fear of man. And wanting to please men more than wanting to please Jehovah, that's the, the danger um, of, of this. Where, where do we seek our glory from? Is it from fellow humans or is it from Jehovah God? All right, yes. Good day, sister people. Okay, with that uh, example of the one in the congregation, they uh, hide a sin. If they are at some point then realize that their relationship is what Jehovah is more important and that's in their mind, then that scripture we, we read there, the help comes from confessing to Jehovah and then going to those brothers and, and telling them and that's where verse 16 says that the prayer of the righteous one 
is very powerful, and so then there was a healing that can begin. It can get well again spiritually. All right. Okay, let's go to our next paragraph, Jim. It may be that we are progressing toward Christian ministry, but a fellow believer counsels us. His honest observations could help us if we do not raise a defensive shield because of pride, the desire to save face, or the temptation to justify our course. Or suppose you are working on a project with a fellow believer. Will your collaboration be influenced by concern over who gets the credit for the good ideas and hard work? If you find yourself in any of these situations, be assured that he that is humble in spirit will take hold of glory. So the question asks, how may excessive concern about how others view us cloud our judgment? Sister Hands? Well, if we're approached by uh, an elder or brother and they counsel us, if we have pride, then we'll just get this defensive shield. And it's not because we're sorry of what we did, but it's just because we don't want them to think of us or look bad, or um, we want to justify our course. Okay, yeah. Another example is you working on a project with somebody else and uh, just asking yourself, do I want to get the credit for this? Am I going to get the recognition I want from the other brothers and sisters? All right, thank you. Yeah. I was thinking about that same point, you know, two people working on something and they get a prize. Do you want the credit or do you want the prize? All right, thank you. So this takes us to be then, uh, of what are we assured if we act with humility? So, Sister Zimmer? Well, Proverbs gives us the assurance that if we're humble about in these situations that uh, they'll take hold of glory. So we're assured of the glory then that Jehovah will give us if we are humble. Okay, there you go. All right, let's go on to our next paragraph, uh, paragraph 11. Overseers and those reaching out for such an office should likewise beware of seeking praise from men. How should a brother respond when he receives a sincere commendation for a job well done? Likely he will not erect a monument for himself as King Saul did. However, does he readily recognize that his achievement was possible only by Jehovah's undeserved kindness, and that any hope for future success still depends on, Jehovah, on God's blessing and help? Our inner response to praise reveals what sort of glory we are seeking. So, Eleven, what should be our inner response to commendation and why? That's a nice scripture to hear to help. Well, any of our abilities that we may have, anything given to us, is only by Jehovah's undeserved kindness. We want to give all glory to Him. And that's brought out of 1 Peter 4.11. Okay, thank you. That's Sister Price. And also the scripture there at Proverbs 27.21 actually shows that praise uh, can actually refine us. It says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And an individual is according to his praise. So really it's a praise can be a test of our character because it can reveal who we really are. Either humility is revealed because 
we acknowledge that our accomplishments are because of Jehovah, or our lack of humility is revealed because we feel superior to others. You brought out the example of King Saul. When he was first chosen to be king, he was hiding among the luggage, so he was very humble. But in chapter 15, now all of a sudden he's out building monuments to himself for his name. Uh, so he failed. It showed uh, what an attitude change uh, people can have if we fail to, to recognize Jehovah's influence and blessing in our lives. All right. Thank you, Justin. Brother Hughes. Appreciate the aspect of the inner response. If we can say something right off the top of our head, oh, thank you very much. No, nothing, really. But inside, we might think we're fantastic. So only Jehovah knows what we're thinking. And so that's how we, and I really appreciate how it really gets to the heart. All right, yes. And what's the fine counsel there at First Peter 4, 11? That scripture lists a few instances that a, a servant of Jehovah could be in, but one of them is ministering, but doing so is dependent on the strength that God supplies. Uh, the first sentence of the paragraph brings out overseers and those reaching out. And in previous studies, we've, we've learned that natural ability or talents, they're not the qualifications for being uh, able to serve in those capacities. It's dependent on Jehovah's spirit and upon the strength that he supplies. And so that is something that all should be seeking to manifest. All right, thank you. Uh, Sister Barnhart, and then Sister Gloria. I really enjoyed the footnote reference on First uh, Thessalonians 2.6. If we could imagine having an apostle speaking to us, and yet it brings out that they did not seek the glory of men. And when it uh, talks about um, that they um, could be an expensive burden, the footnote brings out or wield authority or insist on our power importance so that they didn't do that, even though they were an apostle of Jesus. All right, thank you, Jeff. Like you brought those two words said, this uh, achievement was made possible only by Jehovah's undue kindness, and any future success still depends on his blessing. Thinking about it in the role of uh, brothers and their assignments, if Pride became to be dominant, then he might lose the privilege, and so the things that he was very proud of, he doesn't have that opportunity anymore. It's really, again, it goes back to what was brought up earlier, it's Jehovah's sees what's inside our heart. All right, yes. With the philosophy, shall I say, if you get a compliment in the hallway, that as soon as you go out the door, you uh, have to understand why he said that. Well, let's go to, uh, you wish to do the desires of your father. We're going to read first there. John 8, 43-7. Let's turn there. John chapter 8, 43-47. Why is it to you... Why is it you do not know what I am speaking? Because you cannot listen to my word? You are from your father, the devil. And you wish to do the desires of your father. That one was a manslayer when he began. And he did not stand fast in the truth. Because truth is not in him. When he speaks the lie, he speaks according to his own disposition. Because he is 
because I, on the other hand, tell the truth, you do not believe me. You, of who of you, convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why is it you do not believe me? He that is from God listens to the sayings of God. This is why you do not listen, because you are not from God. All right, let's read paragraph. Another factor that can hinder us from taking hold of glory from God is our desires. Wrong desires can prevent us from hearing the truth at all. Jesus told certain Jews that they did not listen to his message because they wished to do the desires of their father, the devil. So what prevented certain Jews from listening to Jesus? Your brother Christ first. Because they wished to do the desires of their father, the devil.
both wisdom and stupidity keep crying out to us, as it were, and that presents us with a choice. Whose invitation will we accept? The answer depends on whose we will wish to do. Jesus' sheep listen to his voice and follow him. They are on the side of truth. They do not know the voice of strangers. Such humble ones take hold of glory. So 13 and 14, say about the way our brains process human speech? Parents, actually, oh, there's a parent. That's Sister Myers. I found this fascinating because it's true. As a parent, you can block out the sounds of the TV and the kids playing and what you know, focus on whatever you're trying to accomplish. But then, when two children come up to you at the same time and try to talk to you at the same time, you cannot listen to both people talking. So, when it comes to human speech, then um, that changes, and you have to choose which person you're going to focus on listening to. And so, it's the same with. Um, thinking sometimes when we are studying or have a, a talk like my brother Shemak was talking, sometimes there is background noise that is very easy to shut out. Uh, you know, you can recognize it, but then tune it out fairly quickly. So really quiet. Also, a brother William, but it does work. Thinking too how many people that travel often actually use noise to help them. Like if you go into a hotel room, you may turn the fan on always to help you either relax and sleep. So sometimes it's an intentional uh, desire to have a certain noise so you can walk things out. Yeah. Okay. Sister uh, O'Brien. Some paragraph brings out that the limbic system helps us focus on one thing while we're sustaining that ability to hear a variety of sounds but it's a little different when it comes to human voices. In that case, then you have to choose which voice to listen to. Now, if you have ADD like I do, <laughs> that's real hard because it's, uh, something goes wrong in your brain. Uh, there were literally times in college when I would have to go stand in the hall. <laughs> I couldn't study in the classroom. There was too many voices, and it was too hard. But in the case of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, very likely there might have been some who had ADD, but on the whole, they could have chosen to listen to Jesus. They chose not to. They were rigid in their viewpoints and in their faith. They didn't want to listen to him. They were satisfied, like someone brought out, with their lifestyle. So even though they had a zeal for God, they lacked accurate knowledge, but they weren't ready to listen to the full scope of what Jesus had to say about salvation and the full scope of the scriptures that they could have learned from. Right, thank you. So that takes us to B then. What determines to whom we listen then? Sister Myers? Well, really, it comes down to we have two different arguments that both want our attention. One from what the Bible brings out says the house of stupidity, and then the other from the wisdom of Jehovah. And as Proverbs um, 9 brings out, they're both looking for inexperienced ones to come into them. So. Who we listen to really comes down to who we want to listen to. All right, yes, and it brings out here Jesus' sheep, then. Why did Jesus' sheep listen to him? Yeah. <coughs> I'd like to see at that point. Um, 
do the sheep listen to him and follow his voice? In John 10, verse 5, it brings out a stranger. They will by no means follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of a stranger. So they know and listen to Jesus' voice, because they know and love and want to listen to his voice. And then there's those who aren't his sheep, as brought out in Second uh, Peter, the third chapter, the verse there, verse five. But the context is talking about ridiculers and that proceed according to their own desire. That's in verse three. And then in verse five, it says, according to their wish, this fact escapes their notice. So they ignored, uh, like earlier it said uh, in the time of Noah, they ignored that preaching and they suffered destruction because of it. All right. Brother I like Jesus' illustration with the with the sheep and the shepherd. Uh, growing up in that uh, environment back there, that was a very common thing. But sheep develop a relationship with the shepherd, so they trust him. They have love for him. They know that he has their best interests at heart. That's why they listen to him. That's why they look for his voice. And it's the same application for us with Jesus, with Jehovah, that the more we learn about uh, about them and their and the way they are, the more we trust them, and the more that uh, we will listen to their voice. All right, in that last sentence, such humble ones take hold of glory. Then, because of that, let's go to these mean, or these mean glory for you, paragraph fifteen. Our perseverance in doing Jehovah's will helps others to take hold of glory. To the congregation in Ephesus, Paul wrote. I ask you not to give up on account of these tribulations of mine in your behalf, for these mean glory for you. In what sense did Paul's tribulations mean glory for the Ephesians? Paul's readiness to continue ministering to them despite trials demonstrated to the Ephesians that the privileges they enjoyed as Christians were weighty and of the heaviest conceivable value. Had Paul given up under tribulation, would they not would that not have conveyed the message that the relationship with Jehovah, their ministry, and their hope were not valuable? Paul's endurance exalted Christianity and demonstrated that discipleship is worthy, is worth any sacrifice. So how could Paul's tribulation be glory for us? do absolutely nothing that would ever cheapen his ministry or the course of his Christian life. And he knew that to do that, if he weren't to esteem that, he would be setting an example for those who listen to him and who are watching him to see what he would do. All right, yeah. Mr. Parkman. So he really demonstrated to them that uh, being a Christian was a privilege and that it was something that was very valuable. If uh, Paul would have given up, that would have had the opposite effect on those uh, Ephesians. All right, thank you. In fact, let's move to paragraph 16. We're going to stop here. Think of the effect that Paul's zeal and endurance had. Acts 14, 1920, reports Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the crowds. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city of Lystra, imagining he was dead. However, when the disciples surrounded him, he rose up and entered into the city. And on the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Imagining, imagine 
being left for dead one day and making a 60-mile journey the next, and back without modern transportation. All right, uh, looking at the uh, picture up there for paragraph 15, or, yeah, 16. So 16 asks, what tribulation did Paul experience in what this trip? mentioned how he was stoned, he was dragged out of the, out of the city, uh, people thought that he, he was dead, but it says the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby, and that was a 60 mile journey, which you know, back then transportation is different, you know, he had to walk that, but you can see in the picture his determination, you know, he's focused on doing God's will, and everyone else who witnessed that or saw his experience just motivated them to want to do more. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's sister comment. That's when he didn't help. The crowds had left. Uh, his brothers and sisters immediately went to him and ministered to him, and I'm sure did everything possible to encourage him. So uh, this helped him to be able to to keep going. All right. That's a positive effect. That's Sister Barnhart. What did you answer? Oh, you were just scratching. Oh, okay. That's why. That's how quick I So let's go to 17 and 18. Was Timothy one of the disciples that rallied to Paul's assistance? The account in the book of Acts does not explicitly say so, but it is possible. Consider what Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy. You've closely followed my teaching, my course of life, the sort of things that happened to me in Antioch, expulsion from the city, in Iconium, the attempt pelting with stones, in Lystra, with stoning, the sort of persecutions I have borne, and yet out of them all the Lord delivered me. Timothy closely followed those events and was thoroughly aware of Paul's endurance. This made a deep impression on Timothy's mind. When Paul visited Lystra, he found Timothy to be an exemplary Christian, well reported on by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. In time, Timothy qualified to take on the weighty responsibilities. So 17 and 18, in what sense could Timothy have closely followed Paul's suffering? highlighted the disciples surrounded uh, Paul and then he went into the city and we got the picture of uh, the disciples there trying to minister to him perhaps uh, the young man is Timothy we don't know for sure uh, maybe that's his mother and the grandmother there at the foot of uh, Paul ministering to him so that would make his trial real real to Timothy and so that's what we have to uh, understand because Paul even acknowledged that you followed uh, my teaching, my course of life, you happen to be uh, in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and you notice the sort of persecution that I endured. So this encouraged Timothy to, uh, uh, to look at Paul as a good example of uh, willing to sacrifice for the acts of faith.
called this Mr. Lister, he found uh, Timothy to already be, have a good name there within the congregation. And so later on, he sent him uh, to Philippi, and he says that for, I have no one else of a disposition like his who is genuinely care for the things pertaining to you. Already Timothy had observed Paul's conduct, and he wanted to imitate his faith, and he wanted to be genuine in his caring for the congregation. And really appreciate them uh, these being glory for you so look at how it worked out for Timothy here let's go to 19 our pers uh, persevering in doing God's will can have a similar effect on others especially on young ones many of whom will grow up to be very valuable servants of God young disciples not only observe us and learn speech qualities and skills from us in the field ministry but also benefit from seeing how we deal with the indignities of life. Paul went on enduring all things so that all who remain faithful may obtain salvation along with everlasting glory. So what effect can our endurance have on others? Yes, Mr. They use the example here of young ones and how they watch those around them and they take what they see and use that um, to deal with their own experiences. And not only can it benefit them, but it can harm them if they see something that isn't con good conduct. So we want to look at 2 Timothy um, 10, or 2.10, where it speaks of how we need to go enduring all things for the sake of ones watching us, but go enduring all things as well. All right, thank you. And Sister Nicolata. I like that picture at the bottom of the page there. You can see the older couple. and. They're not doing so good. She's in a wheelchair. He's got a cane. He looks like he's got a problem with his wrist. And then you see the younger brothers, and they both could have just whizzed right on by because they're in perfect health. They're feeling good. But the one brother is looking back, and he can tell, you can tell he's just appreciating them in his heart that they're doing that with their disabilities. Um, uh, focusing on uh, how they can see how we respond, such as to the indignities of life, uh, depending on uh, the indignities meaning humiliating or degrading uh, a treatment, um, how we respond to those people, if we're going to be humble, if we're going to react um, abusively back, or however we respond is going to be um, a big eye-opener for them and how they respond to people who mistreat them as well. Those examples um, help not only young ones, but all of us. When we see uh, individuals in the congregation who are enduring um, uh, difficult situations, and yet they continue to put Jehovah first, and they see the struggle, but they're doing the best they can, that, that really is encouraging to all of us, So that because we all go through struggles, so we can imitate that faith, and so it's strengthening for all of us. All right, yeah. Brother William.
sum it up is you can tell somebody how to do something, and, and that could have a good effect. But if you show somebody how to do something, it has a wonderful effect. All right, thank you. Sister Weigel. This also reminds me of how many um, real-life examples we have in the yearbook that can really be encouraging to us all, too, with the experiences that, um, that showcase all these qualities. All right, thank you. Yes, very good. Sister Curry. And along with that thought, too, um, I remember years ago, the, uh, a study we once had uh, in the Watchtower brought out how uh, all the early Christians who faced wild beasts uh, in the stadium, uh, like our Sister Bible brought out the yearbook, and they brought out that we honor their memory by remaining faithful in our course because they, they were faithful to death and um, so we could show honor for their memory by doing the same. All right, thank you. Let's go to our last paragraph, and before we read it, let's go to Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Uh, Amen. And he will render to each one according to his works everlasting life to those who are seeking glory and honor and incorruptibleness by endurance and work that is good. All right, thank you. Let's read our last paragraph. Should we not then continue seeking the glory that is from the only God? By all means. Jehovah gives everlasting life to those who are seeking glory. Moreover, our endurance and work that is good incites others to remain steadfast to their everlasting benefit. Therefore, let nothing hinder you from taking hold of the glory that God gives. So why should we continue to seek the glory that is from God? glory that is only God. By all means we should. Everyone who is seeking Jehovah's glory will get everlasting life. Alright, thank you. Sister Valor. And so then we don't want anything to uh, take this glory away from that God gives us. All right, thank you. Yes, absolutely. And not only will this help us get everlasting life, but we might encourage others to go after that goal. All right, thank you. Okay, let's go back to our uh, front page there, uh, page 25, on how would you answer conclude our study here this afternoon. First one would be then, uh, how would you answer, what glory may we receive from God? There's actually quite a few points here. Other people? I'll just give two. Understanding God's word and having a close relationship with him. All right, yes. Number two. Sister people? So we have the ministry that he has given to us. And we uh, can share that with others and also having a good relationship with Jehovah. All right, thank you. I yes. mean, um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Reputation. All right, there. Okay, and, um, and again, to re 
receive this glory from Jehovah God, what is vital for us to have to receive that glory? Sister Myers? Humility. Humility, yes. That is the key, isn't it? Then what could hinder us from taking hold of glory? Sister Nuchek.
with me in prayer. Our loving Father Jehovah, we do uh, thank you so much for the glory that you uh, do bestow upon us by means of uh, your word, the truth, by having a close personal relationship with you. And uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather here to uh, consider your word, the Bible, uh, further and how we can apply this in our lives. Father, we know that so many brothers and sisters are uh, experiencing various trials throughout the world, and so we pray that your spirit be with them. And that too, locally, we know that uh, even uh, some of us couldn't even be here today because of the trials that we face. And so we pray that your spirit be with them to help them endure and uh, to carry on in the faith. We thank you so much for the wonderful hopes we enjoy. And, uh, we look forward to the time where we can serve you in uh, perfection as you have intended for us and praising your great name with all creation. We ask that you do bless us as we strive to do your will and uh, help us to do this by being uh, diligent students of your word. We ask forgiveness for our mistakes. We pray this now in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Doing today, I'm doing well. It, I don't. I just don't get the whole seeking glory, whether it's here or abroad, so to speak. Meaning, you know, you've got here in Luke chapter 12 that speaks about um, not seeking for you know raiment and and you know you know not putting your tr trust into things which moth and rust self corrupt. Which I get that, but this, it seems the spirit of that message would to be to extend to the idea of not worrying about being saved. Because it does also say in Luke chapter, let's see, 7, or no, chapter 5, verse, let's see, was it 20? Wow, it says something about, like, wanting, hold on, I got it here. Should be right, I flipped over the page. Not wanting to judge. Like, it seems, it seems like going on, like, and worrying too much about the motes in everyone else's eyes. And I understand the good yeah. intention. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I don't, I no longer will personally worry about whether or not Jesus is this or Jehovah is that. But I do find a lot of wonderful wisdom, even in the Old Testament, much more yeah. in the New Testament, personally. You know, Beatitude, Sermon on the Mount, I find those two, two sections of Scripture to be pretty impressive in a lot of ways, but I find it also to contradict itself in a lot of ways. Because it seems like Jesus is kind of pushing this love all equally thing, but then putting God above everyone. Now I understand wanting to have like a higher, like I could see the motivation for wanting to have people loving God higher, because if people have this higher calling that they're trying to live by, they're more likely to, at least in theory, to be geared in a way that makes them kind of operate in, in like an up and up kind of doing the right thing, following the golden rule, which is... That one's, yeah, in Luke chapter 6. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that to me right there, love all, all equally. Do unto others how, how do you want them to be treated. All that to me represents, like, you don't need to worry about whether or not there's treasure here or anywhere else. You don't need to worry about whether Jesus was even the Son of God. All you really need to worry about is just treating others equally with love. You can get that in Buddhism. You can get that in Mormonism. You can get that in Dr. Seuss. It doesn't matter whether you have the star belly sneeches or, you know, or the Watchtower teaching it. You can get a lot of good stuff, but I don't see I don't see why glory is something we should be so focused on, or belief is something that's so important. Because it even says the heart is a greater measure of anything. If you're going to be measuring faith, is not even faith is good to kind of get you started. I just talk I talk about taking journeys. I walked from Portland to Kaiser through Oregon City on Palm Sunday weekend, and then just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I walked from South Salem right around here to Eugene. 
I'm, I, I admire Jesus. He's a great robot model to me, regardless of who he is or was. And for me, I've found that a lot of the contradictions seem to come from the fact that the stuff that's written back here was, is actually some of the first stuff. And it, it, you know, as far as the New Testament is concerned, and, it, and, and, and Paul, as well-intentioned as he was, I think he had quite a few things kind of conflicting because he wanted, he wanted to keep the Old Testament thing that Jesus was even trying to keep to. The idea of Jehovah and this, this vengeful God does not jive with the merciful Jesus. So I could see trying to make it work together, but it just doesn't. There's no logic to it. Talk about finding what a rock is or sand is. This is the, seek and you shall find. James, you know, finding out what the material of your, your foundation is, whether you have a stable foundation to build in the first place. My father was a builder. He, that was one thing, you know, he's going to make sure if there's a house going up and he's going to be working with them, he wants to make sure that foundation, I mean, on Long Island, everything's a big old sediment pile, so, you know, you have to build it on sand anyway, which is, I guess you don't have to if you want to live on Long Island. I'd love to. I would love to study all religions, and including Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not. I'm not here to try to. I. I. I appreciate you guys welcoming me in here, not kicking me. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say I assume that that would be the case. I. I grew up Mormon, so knowing, knowing churches that are a little bit more focused on that kind of thing. I'm not. I. I get the wisdom part of it. I get the trying to help people to live well. But even here, it says Jesus ate and drank and he did his thing. You know, and people are going to look at him and they're going to criticize. That's a problem with moats and beams. We've all got them. To shun someone, to sh but no, right, but to shun someone, that's, you're judging someone prematurely. It says, judge not lest you be judged, right? Why would you bother even go going and disobeying that commandment, even if Jesus is telling you to do it? Because it conflicts with the core concept of the golden rule, with the, with the only one great com commandment, love all equally. Because if God exists, that commandment, you can, you can skip the first one, that would be included right there in it. If he's in there, if he's all, part of all, you're loving all equally, great. But find out, think, ponder, seek out whoever you can talk with and find communities you can be a part of. I like the idea of being a community, working together, causing good things to happen. But, but you shouldn't just take care of each other, you should take care of everyone else by going out and making sure you don't vote Democrat or Republican or things like that. But that you actually go out and vote and try to find representation that's not trying to infringe on the rights of others. But the, I understand, well, but, but, but you still live here. How about the here and now? If you're gonna, it, says, it says you endure to the end. That's enduring the end. Standing around waiting for the kingdom of God in the future is a disingenuous task. The glory of the future is nothing to win. It's, 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 it's asking for capitalism in the here and now and socialism in the hereafter. Wanting to, I mean, I, I love the idea of, of, a, of, a, of a being who came and was wise and sought scripture to, to get wisdom and, and, and to try to bring it all together. And was willing to stand up for what he believed so much, or she believed, whoever stood up. Because in Mother Teresa, a lot of people have stood up. It doesn't matter what the gender is. But people, you know, whatever they're willing to stand up, even in the face of possibility of death. Great people, Martin Luther King, have been killed. People have died standing up for their beliefs. But people have also been killed in the name of belief. So it's, I mean, this is the thing, is that we have to realize that we're a planet. We're not just the, the Mormons, the Harvest Witnesses, the Catholics, the Christians, the Muslims, the, the Buddhists. The, the, it, it's about being human race. I don't understand this wanting to be part of the select, to want to be part of a select group shows that you really don't understand wanting to be part of all, that, that, that Jesus went after the one and left the 99. I mean, and it's weird because even reading that, it's right after a part of saying, pluck out your eye if it offends you. But that doesn't mean that someone's offensive to you, like, oh, I don't like that person. If that person's truly being a hindrance to you, if they're stealing and making so you can no longer function, yes. There's a reason why earthly law should exist. I'm a law student, too, in addition to going to cross-session to churches. 
Well, no, that's great most of the time. But guess what? Some laws are unjust. Some well, they're wrong. People continue to vote for Democrats and Republicans, even though they use drones in warfare and they sign off bills that get rid of due process. What's that all about? We don't get involved in that. Well, you should, though. I understand, I understand some of the rationale. You serve God or you no, serve you're ser by serving men, you serve God. It even says that you are those who are servants are the ones who get the kingdom. Those that are the first and the last, last are first. I mean, that's, to me, what is so beautiful about those words is you can take it to say anything, anywhere. And that's why to just rely on that as, just, as gospel truth is, 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 is a fraud because it contradicts itself. It's schizophrenic. As well-intentioned as it is, it's human-laden. Paul himself is probably one of the biggest influence on it, influences on it, and that's, that's the biggest problem is that everyone's trusting Paul more than they even trust Jesus because they're, they're just saying what Paul said is what Jesus said. You don't know that. What Luke said, well, yeah, I'm sure they were great people. Maybe they were the fantastic, loving, wonderful people who really meant it. I don't know. I'm not the one who's going to go around and purport to say we, not to judge and then go around and looking at people's hearts and getting to judge without even getting it more than an interaction. We actually can't look at people's hearts. Well, we then, then why would, why would shunning occur? But guess what? It's just because an action occurs doesn't mean that person is any less of a sinner than you or anyone else. That's why we go talk to everybody. Well, but then talk to yourself too. I mean, realize this. Understand that dialogue, discourse, not worrying about belief is actually a way that you can make your community a more welcoming, functioning community. If you don't worry about whether God exists or not in, in that form, you don't, it, doesn't, it, it sets you free. What you can do, what you can do is you can go, hey, I, I found great wisdom here. I found ways to take, you know, motivation, let's see, hmm, society functioning well together is a great benefit for me as a self and for my family. So I have all the motivation I need, whether God exists or not. And, and to do things without purpose of reward, it says that's the, the, those who do it because you, you feel like this is the best way to do it because you see. That's, faith is great because it's like a hypothesis. It's like saying, you know what, I know that there's something good I can do. I just got to figure out what that is, and, I, and I'm just going to try to use this collective accumulation of knowledge and wisdom and the, the, the love and family that I have around me to help guide me, but, but be able to question it and not be treated like you're, you're less of a citizen because you're a doubter you or a questioner. Uh, you actually appreciate you coming in and business with us and talking to us. Okay, you. but I want to I want to make sure to come back. I, I've gone to a bunch of churches, and I will continue to come to all the churches. I, I, my name is Eric Kulik. You can look me out online. I did cross-dress at church day that came on accidentally on uh, Martin Luther King Week weekend. But I did that as a result of some Mormon women who got death threats because they had wear pants to church day. And so I figured, well, you know, this is, you know, I'm, Jesus didn't have a scene in between his uh, his, his legs. So, oh, uh, no, that's, that's your stuff. <coughs> Thank you, guys. Yep, you too. You too, thanks. Proceeding was a recording of one of my experiences while cross-dressing to religious meeting houses. If you like what you heard, feel free to give whatever you can at http colon forward slash forward slash e amazon michael k u l i c k dot wordpress dot com forward slash about. Thanks for listening. Maybe I'll see you at church.